Welcome to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, where we examine the latest digital strategies, tactics, case studies, and technologies to help you drive your brand and your career to new heights. You'll hear from a range of marketers and industry experts to help you, the corporate marketer, to take advantage of your many digital opportunities. Here's your host, digital marketing expert, published author, and regular media presenter, Peter Applebaum. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Applebaum, and we have in store quite an interesting conversation. Uh, Joe Millwood, who is the digital strategist at 3M, has uh, one of the most interesting uh, and varied digital backgrounds of anyone that I've met in the digital space. And the conversation we had with him was was far-reaching. And look, the challenge he has at 3M is that they have roughly 28 to 30 divisions of any of some of the most incredible uh, types of products. Everyone knows 3M primarily for, for post-it notes and those types of uh, consumer-oriented brands, but they're in a lot of industrial and healthcare areas as well, So, which uh, many people would not have heard of. Like, for example, when you cross the road, invariably you're crossing on 3M line markings on the road. When you scan your passport when, you, when you're coming out of the airport, that's invariably going to be a 3M piece of technology. So they're a fantastic company with a huge heritage, but obviously like a lot of uh, established older companies, they have their challenges when it comes to and adapting to the, the, the new digital world. So Joe is brilliantly placed to give us his insights and I hope and think you will find this a very fascinating discussion. So here is Joe Millwood. I would like to welcome Joe Millwood, who has uh, got some fantastic titles on LinkedIn, and I'll put a, a link to his profile on the show notes. But he is uh, the Senior Digital Strategist and Augmented Reality Architect at 3M, but he also has uh, some fantastic experience in other organizations. He's also the founder of Startup and Lifeable, if that's the same thing. I'm sure you'll correct me, Joe. Um, okay. But uh, I'd like to welcome Joe. Thanks for having me, Peter. A pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I really wanted to, to speak to Joe, and, and his uh, full transparency, 3M is one of uh, our clients, for Tick Yes, but, and that's probably, well, it's definitely where I came across Joe, but I was fascinated by what he does currently, but also what he's done previously. He's one of the most uh, experienced digital, corporate digital marketers that I've, that I've ever met. So I, I really wanted to have him on the, the podcast because I think he can give a lot of insights to people who have challenges within larger organizations and but are looking at the many opportunities that corporates have. So in a nutshell, Joe, what is your role at 3M and, and in broadly in the, the digital community, if you will? Uh, well, I guess my passion and something that I've taken into 3M is you understanding technologies intimately, but then being able to them, apply them to the corporate environment, the enterprise environment. I think a lot of people are, are dazzled by the latest and greatest technology, but then they struggle to see how they apply that to business um, and then be able to get the budget or the buy-in from senior management to actually be able to invest and start to explore these technologies. So what are the sorts of strategies you've employed in your current role and previous roles in order to achieve that? I think the biggest thing I've started to realise is that financially, most businesses want to see return on the investment. And return on investment isn't necessarily purely revenue. It could be increasing efficiency, an expanse of the brand, or a new opportunity for business. So you've really got to actually understand business itself intimately to then be able to 
work out what the pain points are of the business or, or what the opportunities are or where you can actually sort of apply this technology. And it may be bottom line or maybe top line revenue, but then it also may be an efficiency that is lacking in the business at the moment. Let me ask you the question, and one of the questions I'm going to ask you at the end of our talk is, where do you see digital marketing in five years' time? So you can put that in your subconscious while we're having a bit of a chat. Sure, but, um, sure Where do you see yourself, the Joe Millwood from five years ago, and obviously you've been in several positions since then. But what is your thinking? What does your experience tell you that you are, that I guess, direct you in ways that what you're doing now compared to what you were doing five years ago? Uh, I think now I'm thinking truly strategically. Previously, it was constantly the latest and greatest, trying to find how I could actually use tools and doing things very tactically for great outcome and great return. But then we were always scrambling and it felt like a lot of times I was chasing my own tail to try and make sure we got things done or or things were executed to that level. I guess now I'm starting to take that back where I'm looking at how does this affect the business in the next five years, as you've already mentioned, or how can I increase knowledge of my colleagues as well instead of me trying to take that mantle and do everything myself I want to try and empower other people to understand this technology a bit more intimately and get their ideas because a lot of times if you're really close to the latest and greatest technology you have a particular view where you give it to somebody who's um, completely alien to a particular technology they come up with really novel ideas so I really like that ability to empower others. We actually, it's interesting you say that when we're talking about team, because we spoke last week to Jody Sangster, who's the CEO of ADMA, and she mm-hmm. said that leaders really should have almost like a, a superficial knowledge of everything regarding digital, but then employ or work with people who have a deep understanding of something specific, be it augmented reality or, or mobile marketing or email marketing and those sorts of things. Do you subscribe to that way of thinking? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's where I sort of see myself is that person who's able to gather all that diverse information and spread it across the business. And we do have specific people who are specialists, side 3M, who maybe focus on email marketing or social media or particular areas. And, you know, I gave up sort of trying to understand the flurry of information for, say, social media. That's changed so dramatically in the last five years. But I have a broad understanding and I'm able to then work with a social media specialist and they can talk in the same language that I can, but then they can then take it to the next level and start to actually find the nuances in that particular technology. So the impression I'm getting from even just a short while we've been talking is that you feel that strategy digital strategy is underpins everything and everything and obviously all the tactics really stem from there would you agree I totally agree I think I think the big part of it is and this is probably something that I somewhat of a bugbear is it's not digital anymore it's it's actually just marketing (laughs) it's just understanding marketing and sales so that's where I think there's still this this hesitancy of businesses to jump into digital or whatever realistically in our you know, lives today, everything we touch is digital. I mean, I find it ironic where people say, oh, you know, we don't need to be on social media as a business. And then they'll jump into Facebook the minute that they're outside of work mm-hmm. and talk to their friends. So it's almost that thing where you've got to start stop separating uh, the two and just start talking about sales and marketing and being executed via digital platforms. Which is easier said than done because often you have older people at the top of uh, corporate uh, organizations who are saying, look, we don't want to be on social media because of things people could say or if they say this or they do that. And I always say that, but they're saying and doing that anyway. I mean, it's like the, the only difference is you're not there to respond to it. Totally agree. 
I totally agree. Uh, when I was working at Snowy Hydro, we had a, a CEO who didn't have a smartphone, didn't understand why he needed to be on Twitter. But I was then able to show him the value of us being involved in Twitter because we could directly speak to the MPs. And then we were also tracking information about the community as well via social media. So we were getting a snapshot and an understanding in real time about the, the needs of, of the community. And once I was able to show that and articulate that to him, I mean, he would never tweet himself, but he started to understand the value. Oh, I can communicate with my MP. I can speak to the community directly. So it's just taking it. I think the whole age thing is, is a complete farce, realistically. It's the, the way that, you know, the younger generations need to start to apply this in a business way and then articulate that to the business managers. That's the, that's the way you're going to jump that gap. You're never going to explain the, the benefits of Snapchat to a sea level, but you can say to them, this is the way we can engage with this demographic and have this outcome. That's the way you start, have to start talking about it. And do you find that the C-suite are very much interested in following up? Because once they've made the decision, do they come back to you in X months' time and say, okay, Joe, we've said yes, we've given you a chunk of change. What's the net result of the resource investment and that we've made in this project and program and the trust we gave you in order to deliver outcomes do they are they quite rigorous in being able to understand what the return to the organization is i do think it depends on the organization i have seen you know a lot of them just throwing money at things and think okay we've done social media and actually think it's not something that they need to follow up on i put them on its head and say it's actually the responsibility of the person that's accepted the budget or they've you know gone ahead with the project to give that those updates and to actually articulate what the successes are because the only way you're actually going to legitimize the technology is by actually being the person to show the business benefits so for virtual and augmented reality for example i'm showing i'm building business cases i'm actually showing them what we're doing with the technology now what we're going to do with the technology in the next five years so i've got a true map you know a strategic business plan on how we're going to get move forward with this and additional revenue that we can actually see out of the back of it. Actually, one of the th- it's, it's funny, you've mentioned technology on a regular occasion in the time we've been speaking, and it makes sense because obviously digital is powered by technology, but then again, so is your television and a radio and et cetera, et cetera, but that aside. I, be- I think that one of the biggest, uh, I guess, uh, challenges that a lot of marketers have who are not expert in this area, they think, oh, I'm a technophobe, I don't know how to turn on a computer, which is ironic because obviously they spend all their lives, as you say, outside of work on their smartphones or their tablets or, or their PCs. But it's like, I don't get technology. Do you find that that's something that's often a problem with people who, who you are trying to convince they should be doing these types of things? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, and I think it, it, if you've got someone who's got the confidence to be able to explain to them, you know, this stuff isn't that hard. And realistically, it's not. It's not brain surgery. You know, you're not building these things yourself most of the time. All you're doing is plugging in your information into these new portals, really. And if you can start to simplify it and dumb it down and give them an understanding, and that's what I find my job is. My job is to actually sort of make this really simple to digest. If I can teach my father how to become a host on Airbnb and then travel around the world uh, utilising these sharing tools, I can do it for anyone. You know, so there's no reason, there's no age bracket, I think, that it falls into it's just confidence so if you can actually get people to show you know articulate the benefit to them making their job easier you know being more efficient with their campaigns but then give them really simple ways of going starting the process i think that's the critical element so let's say that uh i'm a brand manager and i'm listening to you chat about this and i'm working in a conservative organization 
And the senior management have said, oh, this digital thing's all for the birds. We're going to stick to what we've been doing uh, traditionally for years and years because why? if it ain't broke, why fix it? What advice would you give to them? What are the, the steps they should take in the next 90 days to be able to empower or to convince and persuade the powers that be to say, well, let's let's do this because quite frankly, it's not that something that's a nice to do, it's a need to do. We have to do it. What, what advice would you give them? Uh, the first thing is to research. And it may be, and this is where it takes passionate people to be able to produce change, I think, inside an organisation. So you've got to be passionate. It's not stuff that your work is going to pay you to do. You know, listen to podcasts such as these. But, I mean, podcasts are definitely my superpower. I listen to, you know, five to six podcasts a week to learn about the latest and greatest things that are happening. Research new websites, but more importantly, look at your competitors and see what they're doing. If you're able to show to a business manager that their number one competitor has increased their re- revenue or re- reduced their overheads, you know, able to articulate more quickly to the business or customise something for a particular customer, and it's impacting directly the business that they're in, that's when you'll get them to start to uh, sit up and take notice. And then from that, build out a small pilot program. Don't try and boil the ocean. Just do something small with a definite end date as well as a measurement criteria for a smart goal or whatever you want to call it. So you can actually sit there and articulate what you're trying to do, how long it's going to take you to do it, what's it going to cost to do, and what are the outcomes you hope to have out of the back of it. If you can actually be really concise about what you want to try and deliver, they'll give you enough work to hang yourself properly. And hopefully you won't hang yourself. Hopefully. You'll be swinging from the rafters. I noticed that um, we talked about LinkedIn a little earlier and you have a fantastic profile. And actually, you were, you were giving me some tips uh, before we started recording about how you should, uh, from a search engine optimization, use as your title. Um, I noticed you've got uh, almost 2,500 followers, which is an incredible number, particularly in an Australian context. It astounds me, and sometimes I'm, you might have the same experience, Joe, but it astounds me when sometimes I'm speaking to people in a digital, with a digital role in an organization, and they don't even have a LinkedIn profile. Do you find that? I do. It's rarer now. Traditional marketers, traditional marketers may not have one. And realistically, that term, traditional marketer, has to start to migrate out of our vernacular. Realistically, I don't think in the next five years, if you don't understand digital intimately, you will have a role in marketing. I just don't see it actually happening that you'll be able to be a specialist in, say, print or in you know more traditional factors. You've at least got to have an understanding on how your methodology is going to affect the digital platform. I think there was blood chilling all over Australia as people were listening to that point. If you don't understand digital in five years' time, you won't have a role in marketing. That's a bit alarmist, don't you think? Uh, I just think it's realist. I mean, you look at the change that's happened in the last five years, it's been such a rapid rise. Well, who'd have thought the, the US you know, election would be decided via Twitter? Uh, and this is the thing you've got to actually take a realistic look at. We're at the, at the, at the very early stages of, of this uh, acceleration into, into digital. As we start to move from smartphones to heads-up eyewear to artificial intelligence controlling you know, how we run our lives and also looking at voice search versus, or voice activation and smart things, I think we're just going to slowly see a shift in, you know, display advertising and brand is going to have to rethink how it's actually representing itself in a world where, you know, paper will slowly uh, disappear and, and even billboards will slowly disappear or they'll become digital. You think so? 
I remember people predicting when when television came out that the movies would die, and and when computers came out, there'd be a paperless office. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I necessarily agree with you, but that's okay. I mean, sure. I guess time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> totally. So when we first uh, chatted, when we first met, you mentioned that you'd worked uh, for Gloria Jeans some years ago, and you'd had an incredible workload. I'm still tired thinking about how much you did in in one year. Can you just uh, tell us a little about that? Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. I worked in the Gloria Jeans and they didn't really have an uh, approach to digital with, you know, over a thousand stores across the world and, um, you know, pretty much everyone working independently. We had something like over 200 Facebook pages and we had 20 websites which weren't, weren't even actually uh, you know, on brand or they were, you know, different across the world. And part of my remit when I came on board was to try and massage that into a uniform approach and it was a challenge I mean we did a lot of work in 12 months but I guess the big part I had was trust from my management and they got out of the way I think that's really important if you want to make really rapid change you have to hire experts and then allow them to work at a pace that they're used to and and let them you know have that autonomy and make those decisions if you are able to do that in the enterprise environment then you'll see huge amounts of benefits so you know, working like a startup inside an enterprise can add huge benefit if you've got that ability to do that. But as you say, you need the buy-in of the organisation. If, uh, again, somebody who's listening who's just been put into a digital role and they don't have terribly much experience but they've got all, they've, they're, they're smart and they've, they've got all the passion for it, what would you suggest? What's the way that people can get up to speed with, uh, I guess, getting experience with digital when they don't actually have that much? Because I know that one of the common threads in a lot of uh, people I speak to is that there is an absolute skill shortage out there. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think going to events is is critically important and connecting with people more seniority or that have more experience. And it can be work events, you know, conferences, or it can just be after hours. There's, there's a stack of meetups across a broad range of digital tools and digital approaches. So everything from, you know, social media all the way through to virtual and augmented reality through to mobile development. So you can just jump on there and find those meetups. And that's where you'll see the true stars and the people that are going to succeed are the ones that do that extracurricular. You know, they'll be going through and doing their research after hours or meeting up with someone that they might have admire and for me i'm happy to do that i'm happy to pass on that information because if i can enrich uh, another person's knowledge and be able to you know help them in some way it always tends to come back Um, but then it also raises the bar for everybody else so i don't come into an organization and find that we're you know still back in 2010 or what have you so with regards as i say you've had several roles in the digital space over the years and obviously been a keen student and observer of what happens in the digital space what what are some case studies and what are some organizations and brands that are doing it really really well and why um i think there's there's quite a lot of them coming out of the u.s and i think it is because they starting to take that mentality of that startup environment i mean my by far my favorite is starbucks And that's just because that comes from the top down. So, you know, their uh, CEO is passionate about technology, understands the benefits. You know, they they were the first to sort of do these things with mobile purchasing and what have you, and really embracing those next steps. Some of the other great companies, I mean, Lowe's, which is uh, similar to Bunnings over in the US, do some fantastic stuff. They have robots into their stores because they're seeing that we're moving into that space where we're going to have this automation happen within the, the next couple of years. So they're starting to experiment already. To be able to 
personalize on scale. And I think that's a big part that people have to realize. In the next five years, you're going to expect that you have a personal shopping experience that's, you know, completely attached to everything about your personality and your profile in any store you walk into. So I think that's the goal. It's been a lofty goal and omnichannel is one of those words that's trotted out and I still believe that it's a bit of a fantasy at the moment. But I think giving giving the next couple of years with the rise of artificial intelligence and the availability of big data, but with, at the moment there's lots of big data that it tends to sit in silos. But if we've got artificial intelligence and machine learning that's able to be applied to that big data is when we start getting insights that can be added to valuable things for customers. One comment you just made, personalise on scale. What an ideal. What an incredible ideal. And that's where, again, even in the, the few episodes we've already recorded, that's um, a bit of a recurring theme. We're looking to have this customer centricity and to be able to, as I say, I often say it's have a, a market of one times a million as opposed to the traditional way, which is a million times one. And I think that, that really encapsulates what we're trying to do. So if you have a million customers, try to create a million different experiences and obviously use technology, big data, automation to try and achieve that. I mean, could you expand a little more on that? Well, I think a big example at the moment is Alexa uh, from Amazon. I've got uh, Google Home and Alexa at home that I, I test at the moment. Um, but if you're a US shopper, you're able to basically ask for a product. And because Amazon has got a wealth of data, especially if you're a long-term customer, they're able to understand what you're buying, have it, what your maximum minimums buy for each product. So if you want to buy toilet paper, it understands, okay, you have something that's three-ply, you want it to be recycled, you want X, Y, and Z. So it'll actually make the determination of what brand and what volume you need without you having to articulate that. So that's where we're starting to move into the point where the customer is more of the request to their artificial intelligence to then go out there and make the brand determination, to make the product determination, the price that they want to buy something for. So we're actually seeing a shift where people will make general requests and the AI will pick up and and understand the specificity um, because it has the information and it has the data already. We don't have to say, I need to have Kleenex toilet paper that's a 10-pack and I need it to be the recycled version, whatever. So we don't have to say that. We just say, I need more toilet paper and the artificial intelligence is able to then pick up that and personalise your purchase based on its history. One of the things we actually spoke about before was the challenges in corporates and, and getting buy-in from senior management. I think one of the, the other challenges, particularly with the rapid development of all the new initiatives and the, and the new technical opportunities that we're talking about, is that a lot of uh, senior management and even the, those in, in the digital marketing role are looking at at uh, what they have achieved already in the organization and these all these exciting new developments that are happening. And they're saying, well, we haven't really done social very well. We haven't done email marketing and content, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't exactly have a, a solid foundation, but managements all have gone to a conference and seen artificial intelligence and, and virtual reality and all these sorts of things, and they want to do that. What would you say to people in that situation where someone's got the all hot and hot and bothered about something that's in the future, but there's not a great foundation that's been put in place already? Uh, foundation's a perfect word. I mean, you don't put a beautiful facade on your house if you've got rotten and sinking foundations. I think looking at fundamentals of your data stack at the end of the day, if you don't have an understanding of your data intimately, you're building on quicksand. 
basically. So if you want to look at, say, augmented reality shopping for for FMCG, for example, if your website isn't able to be nimble enough to serve that information out in pieces for an artificial augmented reality headset, then you're not able to do that. You know, your stuff's not going to be surfaced right. So you've really got to understand, you know, how is our data organised? How is it warehoused? Are we able to spin up a new version of a website in a really quick amount of time? So I think you've critically got to go back to your content, your product information, all that really mundane and boring stuff. Is that in, in the right format for AI to be able to read it? So is it in JSON so a machine learning uh, technology can read that? Is it all common? Do we have common attributes that we can then serve up correct information as we start to move forward? You know, at the end of the day, people cheer that they've got a mobile website or, or that they've, <laughs> they've you know, uh, got an app that they've built. But realistically, if their data in the back end is still all over the place, they're just putting shiny stuff on the rotten foundation. Shiny stuff on the rotten foundation. I like it, Joe. <laughs> do, do you use that? Do you use that in meetings? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely um, for me a bugbear. I mean, I understand that corporates have these huge legacy environments. So for me, it, it's speaking to the senior managers, it's speaking to the VPs to to showcase for them what's going to cost us in five years. Because the, the problem at the moment is that this stuff will take a long time and cost a lot of money to fix these issues. If you've got legacy data issues then you've definitely got to sit down and do that. I mean, you know, I've worked with a number of organisations who have had this huge transformation and actually, you know, spent the time to clean up all their back of house. And then once they're there, it makes it so much easier for them to quickly deploy uh, new things as they move forward. And, you know, I've been excited about the challenge of 3M and, and, you know, I can see that migration happening um, with the large organisations and and does take time. You know, it's not going to be something that can happen in, you know, 12 months, especially if you're a very large organisation. But as long as you've got that goal to move forward and you have an understanding that you have to consistently change and that the you'll never finish. That's the other part is that digital and and data, uh, it's not an oil painting. You know, these things never stop. You know, we're looking at a, a live action movie that's going to continue, you know, till as long as the company exists. So we actually you know, be ready for those changes and be able to consistently and, and keep on refreshing and, and improving that. A live action movie with no shootout at the end. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that uh, with corporates, with the organizations you've worked for, that you still need that champion or champions to push this through and there are some and the rest of the people are just sitting on the sidelines saying, mm, not so sure about this stuff? Oh, definitely. I still think, you know, it, it depends on the culture of the organization. If you're talking about, you know, especially the 20th century companies, you've got people that have had long tenure and, they, and they've seen the, the shift in the business, somewhat scared of, of that change. As I said, the big part for me is to grab their hand and bring them along. You know, I'm here to be a champion, but I'm also here to bring other people along and, you know, move them into this, this 21st century and actually start to get them excited and and bring some life back into their job sometimes. I mean, sometimes you've got someone who's been working in an organisation for 10 or 15 years. They're feeling like they're just doing the same old, same old. So for me, I want to surprise and delight people and actually get them to start thinking, oh, how could I change my role? Or how could I move into a completely new role by starting to embrace these new uh, technologies and the digital platforms? So there's going to be a rush of people contacting you, Joe, to see if there are any jobs working with you at 3M. <laughs> it's not a bad problem to have. Um, let, not let, at all. <laughs> what do you think most exciting industries in which you think they're absolutely poised to really do some incredible things in the digital space and with digital technology? Uh, funnily enough, I'm really excited about FMCG. Seeing some interesting things happening. And I mean, 
A lot of the organizations are fearful of Amazon, and they should be. Amazon's doing some amazing stuff with the store where you don't need to have any cash and these things that they're doing. Um, for me, that having that monolithic company pushing these traditional businesses, I think, is the best thing that's happened to them. And it's been about 10 years that I've seen this started to happen. And we're starting to see a real acceleration in, in innovation with these companies where they're, they're either spinning up new businesses themselves or buying startups. So you've had the Dollar Shave Club guys get bought just recently because of their subscription models. So I think, I think that that's a really dynamic area because I think these businesses understand if they don't innovate quickly, they're going to start to become irrelevant and they'll go the way of Kodak. So I'm really excited about that. Stuff. As a former FMCG brand manager myself, I absolutely still have that fascination for FMCG companies and and quite frankly, I actually just noticed in the the trade press today that the the CMO of Unilever has uh, his that position's been made redundant or he's been moved on, and he was saying a few barbed things that uh, well, a few, not barbed things. He was saying a few things about saying that FMCG is really under attack and and obviously they are, but the traditional branded FMCG companies because we see premium house brands from the supermarkets in particular. And I know that's not, they're not the only FMCG brands out there. But the reason I think that the FMCG marketers in the supermarkets have missed a trick is that they haven't connected with their customers. Their customers are the guys that sit in, in corporate Woolworths and Coles headquarters, basically, and a few of the smaller retailers. So they're essentially, they're, the, they're creating the brands, they're paying for the brands, paying for the distribution. But ultimately, what is it, the last three feet? They're not in charge. They don't control that. And I think that's where the huge opportunity with digital, I agree with you, Joe. I think FMCG have so many opportunities, particularly the larger organizations. They have so much money, marketing money, if you will, and they have so many opportunities, but they're not taking advantage of it because there doesn't seem to be much of a will. No, no, I totally agree. I think it, and something you engage with every day. You know, I mean, if they're, if they're consumable items, you know, you've got the chance to actually engage with that person and delight them every single day. And I think a lot of a lot of brands are missing the boat. And that's why companies like Dollar Shave Club or there's a whole bunch of these new subscription services that are coming out. And they're talking directly to that daily requirement. And they're augmenting the the subscription based on how you use things. They're really flexible and they're fun. And they've they've uh, they've they've started to own that last three feet as as we talked about. They're taking it out of their hands of someone in, inside a supermarket and moving to online where the box, you know, arrives at your door and you don't even have to think about it. And that's where I think there's a real danger of these big box shops actually, you know, completely vanishing. I mean, I know Walmart's labs and they're, and they're doing a lot of work. Woolworths and Coles here both have similar startup style environments where they're, they're just throwing things at the wall to try and understand how they can own that space. And then obviously you've got the brands that are trying to do the same. Unilever has done some interesting innovations and um, Nestle as well. See them scrambling. Well, I see Nestle has, have actually historically been very good at, at establishing one-to-one relationships with their customers but i'm not sure how far they've been going actually probably actually on my list of people to talk to is the head of digital for nestle so it might be worth having that conversation as well so what are some of the funniest things you've seen regarding digital when it comes to to corporates i think the assumptions are always the funny things i mean i sat in some c-level meetings and had people tell me that Tradies don't use mobile phones, for example, or that they don't use social media because it's going to steal their identity. So there's, there's definitely those interesting moments. And, and I tend to find that if I can understand what their 
either their personal uh, passions are or something that inside the business they're really, they're really excited about. And you can show them that their digital environment will deliver something that's of value to themselves. And especially if you can find out what their personal passions are. If you're able to show someone a bit more senior that, okay, you can directly connect with your favourite golfer or whatever it is, I think that's, that's been a really interesting thing. The other part, I think, is the fun things, working in an environment where it's so fast-paced, having absolutely monumental failures, but being able to shrug it off and work with the team to get back on track and do things. I mean, I think that's the benefit of working fast in the digital environment and having that ability to fail fast and then you know, get up and, and quickly turn it around. I'm the first to admit that we've I've had some you know, great failures. But it's because I've had managers who allowed me to experiment, um, go out there and, and make the mistakes, but then learn from it and then build something better the next time. I know that um, 3M has some incredibly dry, if you will, divisions. I mean, there's about 28 to 30 different divisions servicing some pretty obscure things like traffic line markings, which you wouldn't actually think about, but it is quite a big business, as you would imagine, because it's on every road in Australia, for example, not to mention the world. But a comment that has often been made to me is that, oh, look, we're in a really boring industry or we've got boring brands and it's not that, it's not that fun. And I always say, just find the passion point. That's a common word that you've used quite a bit, Joe. But it's, and I, mm, in my great. opinion, it's like, what is the passion point for the product? And it might not necessarily be in the product in and of itself because when you think about it like Coca-Cola, it's just flavored water. It's really not that much. It's it's what it's what we as marketers can create the feelings and evoke all these different types of wants and desires around that, that brand. It's not the brand as such. Do you find, particularly in the environment where you you are dealing with a lot of products and brands that are not that exciting, that you are searching for that passion point and connecting that to technology? It's funny. I think I think um, you look at some of those those as you said more blue collar in particular. Uh, industry and thinking that there's no passion but then you've got one guy who's you know, absolutely obsessed with using the perfect sandpaper or absolutely obsessed with understanding the best way to, to polish his car or to apply the best film to his the tint on his car these guys actually you know you've got there's always massive amounts of fans in very very niche areas and i think the big thing that digital does is allow us to connect those those uber fans or find those uber fans and actually sort of provide them information you know you, you jump on reddit or you jump on any of these social media sites and you can find that there's fifty thousand people that are talking about the most obscure thing and if your brand or your product uh, aligns to their passion they're going to jump all over you so i mean that's that's the, the benefit if you can sort of give them value they'll love you forever and i mean i, I found it a lot with with uh with gloria jeans i mean why you've got the person that buys a coffee once a day or whatever. There were these absolute coffee fanatics who would spend hours debating the best way to, to roast the, the coffee beans or the best way to extract the, the perfect laugh. There's always those obsessed fans. And if you can find and tap into those, it doesn't matter what market, you'll find them. And, and, and digital allows you to, as I said, personalise on scale and be able to touch those people the right way at the right time that they want to actually talk to you. So I think that's the benefit. So, okay, I mentioned at the beginning of the discussion, what would you, how different are you today than you were five years ago? Let's put on the, look in the crystal ball, put on the yep. shawl and just say, okay, so in five years time, what do you think the marketing or the communications landscape is going to be different to the way it is today? 
I think the biggest part, and, and, and I just mentioned it, is that personalization. I think the the interesting thing is going to be is that we've got these huge monolithic organizations with your Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple. These guys are going to affect the world. They're not shaped the planet, I think, and, and I don't think people realize that the impact that these companies are already having, but will continue to have just because of the wealth of information that they're gathering. Um, and people are freely giving up. And I think we've got the world going in one of two ways, where they'll either embrace it or reject this, this scenario. If they embrace it, I hope that there's the governance for you know this data collection to actually be beneficial both ways, because at the moment, these large organisations are collecting information and they're making a lot of the money and people aren't making as much the other way. Or even if they aren't making money, at least give them that value. And that's what I see where brands and, and businesses can really start to add value. If they can anticipate the needs of somebody, and this is a hope and this is what you know artificial intelligence, machine learning can provide, is that surprise and delight every morning that they understand that you feel like having toast instead of cereal today and that, that you're, you feel like a cup of tea instead of a cup of coffee because of the way you slept and with your you know, connected mattress. Uh, I think there's going to be really interesting if we can start to actually marry those things together. The other side of that is if we just start bombarding people with highly targeted advertising. But I think we're at the stage now where the millennials, I hate that term, but you know, younger generation of people are already rejecting uh, advertising. You know, they're, they, they live in a world of streaming, of, you know, every single movie being free without ads. So advertising in its current form, I think, is going to radically change. Uh, I think you know, advertising is going to become more nuanced, experiential type of uh, environment that are personalised and tailored specifically for you. And I think they're the businesses that are going to win. And these may be either new startups that are delivering a superior service or a superior product, or you will find some of the incumbents that are able to shift. But I think we're at this real tipping point at the moment where some of these older school companies may fail because they aren't able to move fast and anticipate the needs of this changing environment and the changing population. I think we're at the stage where the sea level people, you know, especially the baby boomer generation are all starting to retire and, and become less influential in the workplace. And as that starts to happen, you're moving into people of my age that are starting to be, you know, Gen Xs who grew up with computers, be it rudimentary, but we understand the, the information intimately. Um, but we've still got the old world methodologies to fall back on. So basically you understand the new world, but you also know enough of the old world to be able to, to book a profit for the organisation. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I think that's what the you know the, the next generation of C-suites will be. They'll be these guys that straddle both worlds and move and reach everybody up by the, the collars to move them into the new world a lot faster. And, and they'll have to because otherwise, up and coming startups will will you know jump into that space and eat your business for lunch because they can do it with faster and more efficiently and and touch a customer and connect with them more intimately than you'll ever be able to with your old world methodology. Or like Dollar Shave Club, as you suggest, they get swallowed up by Unilever, one of the old monoliths, for $500 million, yeah. and uh, and they probably get, as I say, swallowed up is the operative word, in two or three years' time, they disappear altogether. But uh, that's yet yeah, to be correct. played out, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that's the interesting thing with those acquisitions. You know, you want to hope that, that, that Unilever is smart enough to let, let the Dollar Shave Club guys be their own entity, and they've already got their own ecosystem. If you swallow them up and bring them into the fold, you destroy that ecosystem. That's something that traditional older businesses have to understand if they are acquiring startups, is that these guys are kicking the butt because they have worked out a way to build a community around their brand. Mm. So final question, Joe. It's uh, and, and look, you've given us some fantastic tips and insights over the course of our conversation. But if uh, 
And if we're covering old ground, I apologize, but it's like, what are the top three tips you would give to someone who's looking at getting into digital or someone who's already in marketing and they're looking to, to skill up? Again, as I know we've talked about this in the past, like go to meetup groups, but what are, the, what are your top three tips for someone to, to achieve digital marketing excellence in the future? Um, as I said, research uh, and, and all those myriads that we've talked about is, is number one. So knowing your, knowing your topics, knowing what you're talking about. Uh, confidence is huge. If you can't go in there with the confidence of understanding, and that comes from having that, that information in the back of your head, but going in there with that confidence and being really strong and actually sort of fighting for the cause. And I think the last one is definitely bringing people on the journey. So if, if you're out there looking like you're the, the uber geek, you've got to have that understanding that you know, as you learn, start to inform others. The more of an army you can build around you, I think the, the more success you'll have. Fantastic. Joe Millwood, thank you so much for your time. It has really been fascinating and, and very insightful, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this will get a hell of a lot out of it, and I certainly have as well. So thank you, and uh, we'll speak again. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Too. All the best, Joe. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Joe is a fantastic and fascinating guy. He's got some incredible experience in the Australian digital world, and he certainly is not living in the past. He certainly has his eye firmly fixed on what's coming, such as augmented reality and and artificial intelligence. So, and I, look, what I loved about the comment he used was personalization on scale, and I think that's really the foundational concept of what we should be looking at when it comes to digital marketing opportunities for corporates and of course organizations of any sizes but uh, all of this will be in the show notes we'll have a transcription of the interview with joe and look forward to speaking with you next time thanks a lot bye you just listened to the corporate digital marketing podcast If you have any suggestions about what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts, email us at info at tickyes.com. For the transcript, links from this episode and other information, go to www.tickyes.com and click on the podcast link. Have a great digital day.